0: Comparative effectiveness is gaining momentum as a way to decide what drugs and devices should be used by doctors. But why was it a part of the economic stimulus approved by Congress and pushed by President Obama? Welcome to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japsen, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Dr. Les Paul. Dr. Paul is Vice President of Clinical and Scientific Affairs for the National Pharmaceutical Council, a Washington-based group focused on evidence-based medicine for healthcare decision making. A board certified pulmonologist and internist, Dr. Paul has more than twenty-five years of healthcare experience. Dr. Les Paul, welcome to Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you, Bruce. Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here because in the news, there have been so much talk about the economic stimulus and a lot of health professionals and just people at large don't really understand how that's going to impact health care, but there is going to be an impact. So if you could tell us a little bit about the National Pharmaceutical Council and your role and why is this such a big deal right now?
1: The National Pharmaceutical Council is a research and education association supported by the innovative pharmaceutical industry. And we sponsor and conduct scientific analyses on the appropriate use of pharmaceuticals and the clinical and economic value of improved health outcomes through pharmaceutical innovation. CER and its foundation of high-quality scientific evidence are very important areas of focus for NPC. We were established in 1953, and we've been conducting innovative research for the last 50 years, EBM, and uh, that's Evidence-Based Medicine and Comparative Effectiveness, is increasingly becoming a critical element supporting effective and efficient healthcare decision-making by patients and providers, and the acceleration of this trend is of increasing interest to both federal and state policymakers as they consider ways to improve healthcare quality and reduce costs. The pharmaceutical industry spends more than $65 billion on research and development, and we generate more than 15,000 clinical studies every year, so we're very interested in the process of generation of evidence, the proper interpretation of that evidence, and the application of that evidence in patient care settings.
0: And so tell us how this plays into the stimulus, because a lot of when people sort of peel back the onion, they sort of think of the stimulus as something to get new roads and bridges built. But in reality, there was quite a bit of money placed in this. And if we could talk about a little bit about why the government is interested in doing that and, and kind of what are some of the good things that could come about with this?
1: Well, the government has funded, through the stimulus package, $1.1 billion of new money for comparative effectiveness research. And that money is going to be divided between the National Institutes of Health, the Agency for Healthcare Policy, and the Healthcare Research and Policy, and then the Department of Health and Human Services. And this money is focused on deciding and and defining a little bit more about the methodology and the outcomes to improve patient health care for comparative effectiveness. But this began as an effort to both improve quality of care and reduce costs. Over the past, say, 40 years, the federal health care component of cost has grown more than 2.5 percentage points faster than per capita GDP. And as a result, we'll be on track to spend, the federal portion will reach 17% of the total economy, maybe in the next 40 or 50 years. So it's very important from the government's perspective to both improve quality and potentially reduce costs through defining better what works in healthcare and to try to decrease the variation in care that occurs across the country.
0: And also, if you could walk our listeners through maybe an example of if the Industry, perhaps drug makers, have already been doing this. What would the drug makers like to see in comparative effectiveness that might benefit them or might not benefit them? It seems like increasingly, for someone who writes about you know drug and device makers a lot, you see a more of these head-to-head studies. Could there be a way where a head-to-head study showing one product might be better at something would that be something that could go along a way to explain comparative effectiveness to our, our listeners?
1: I think it's really important that as we prioritize how to spend money in the area of comparative effectiveness research that we start with chronic diseases that afford the greatest impact. So it's clear today that healthcare costs rising at an unsustainable rate. It's reasonable to think about studying conditions that are seriously impacting both patient's health and costs, such as cardiovascular disease, chronic respiratory disease, cancer, diabetes, etc., you know, it's important, I think, also that CER not be limited to only the drugs used to treat those conditions, but also extended to all relevant healthcare services, including medical and surgical procedures, diagnostics, and medical devices. And in addition, we think it's important that this research include alternative healthcare delivery methods and insurance benefit designs. So as we think about how to prioritize, it will be very, very important that we consider not just the methodology that you raised about head-to-head studies, but how do we focus on the areas that are, where the biggest gaps in information exist and where potentially there's an opportunity to improve the quality of care and reduce cost
0: as well. Well, you bring up an interesting point. Where do you see that there might be some gaps out there in people's understanding of comparative effectiveness or some of the things you addressed?
1: There are gaps in every area of medicine. For example, the American College of Cardiology just published a study looking at the clinical guidelines that have been developed over the last 10 or so years to treat serious cardiovascular disease. And they looked at those guidelines to see to what extent are those guidelines evidence-based. And what they found is less than 20% of those guidelines are really based on very high-quality evidence, with the vast majority based on either limited evidence or evidence that would not be considered to be high-quality. And so that's an example where I think the science of evidence generation and application come together and how how it's very, very important to study those areas more thoroughly to better define what actually works and what doesn't.
0: If you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on xm 160. The Channel for Medical Professionals. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune. And joining me today is Dr. Les Paul, who's the Vice President of Clinical and Scientific Affairs for the National Pharmaceutical Council. And he's here to talk to us about comparative effectiveness, which is in the economic stimulus. There's a billion dollars in the Congressional and President Obama's economic stimulus for comparative effectiveness. And we were just talking about sort of the limited evidence that's actually out there in making some health care decisions, which might actually be a surprise to people. And Dr. Paul, if you could sort of elaborate on that, you were talking about how this evidence is not often of high quality. And so there might even be decisions based by insurers or perhaps the federal government on paying for a certain thing that's not even based on perhaps a clinical study.
1: There's a lot of decisions that providers have to make every day when they're faced with unique clinical circumstances of patients. And so to apply the evidence that is available is a a very critical element of, of how physicians make decisions every day. But the quality of the evidence is quite variable depending on the nature of the disease that you're talking about or the patient's condition. And so I think more research and more investment into comparative effectiveness research will become a a normative way of doing business moving forward for people who are in the business of generating evidence around technology innovation.
0: Now, do different organizations have a different definition of comparative effectiveness? I, I think that when the health insurance industry, for example, talks about this, it's sort of translated in, okay, we might not have to pay for this product that is old and isn't as good as something new that's less expensive. It seems like it all is sort of a code for we're not going to pay for something expensive if it's not as good as something that's already out there.
1: You have to go back to the original definition of evidence-based medicine by David Sackett in 1996, which was defined as the integration of best research evidence with clinical expertise and patient values. So when these three elements are integrated, clinicians and patients form a diagnostic and therapeutic alliance which optimizes clinical outcomes and quality of life. So comparative effectiveness is simply one type of application of evidence-based medicine where you're looking at the comparative clinical effectiveness of drugs, different treatments, devices, and then the interpretation of that evidence from these assessments is used to support applications of evidence in health benefit design and medical decision-making. There are really four key questions that form the basis of comparative effectiveness research, and these questions stem from a history of health technology assessment that dates back into the 19. 19- so the four questions about a technology are, first, can it work? So in a, in a perfect setting, can it work? Secondly, in a, a real-world setting, does it work? And thirdly, for whom does it work? And lastly, is it better, the same as, or inferior to what is already available? So those four questions, I think, are the, are the building blocks for comparative effectiveness research.
0: Well, that's actually a nice way to break it down. Um, when we talk about the billion dollars going toward that, if you can give our listeners an idea of maybe what that's going to go to. And, and quite frankly, is it something that if you're a physician with a certain idea, can, is there a place you can apply for some of this money or a company? How does this work? Or is it still in a gray area?
1: The three components of the spending are, again, the Department of Health and Human Services, the National Institutes of Health, and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. And most recently, the Institute of Medicine has been asked by Congress to formulate a report to Congress due at the end of June on priority setting. And that is going to be a very, very important report. And there's currently public hearings going on right now as to how best to spend the money, the stimulus portion of the money, around comparative effectiveness. And the National Institute of Health is already moving forward with some of the requests for proposals so that if somebody, one of your listeners, has a research idea, that money is available and there are requests for proposals that are ongoing from the National Institutes of Health. But stepping back, it'll be very important for the nation, I think, to have a priority-setting process that is transparent and that involves all stakeholders.
0: Does National Pharmaceutical Council, does your group have any ideas on if some of the money were to be spent right away on something? Was there something that you would like to see it spent on almost immediately?
1: Well, in addition to the things that I mentioned related to chronic disease, and this is what I'm about to say are areas of spending that I think are, are, and we think are critically important, but sometimes are not made so public in the discussion. But we think it's important to step back and first conduct an assessment of strategies to ensure the continuous evaluation. Evaluation of new evidence related to specific healthcare technologies. So how does one determine when a health technology assessment should be revised based on new clinical information, which is developing all the time? So it will be important to develop new comparative effectiveness methodologies, such as analysis of non-randomized studies of treatment effects using large databases. So if you have large databases, how do you properly study the data that's in those databases and protect patient confidentiality but also obtain very important information that's practice-based clinical improvement for, that's focused on improving quality of care.
0: Would this be the use of more studies, do you think? More peer-reviewed research, is it as simple as that?
1: Well, all of this would be, I think, peer-reviewed research. It's just different types of peer-reviewed research. So when it's be very important to know if you have a given research question, when do you use a randomized controlled trial for example that could be quite costly and quite time consuming as opposed to observational research designs that might answer the question effectively but not be quite as costly and time consuming but having said that it'd be very important to understand how those studies should be conducted and and how they should be designed in a way to give you the correct information that you're looking for
0: well with that i'd like to thank dr les paul who has been our guest he's the vice president of clinical and scientific affairs for the National Pharmaceutical Council, a Washington-based group focused on evidence-based medicine for healthcare decision-making. And you're going to be hearing more about this because the economic stimulus package included a billion dollars for comparative effectiveness research. I'm Bruce Japson of the Chicago Tribune, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and I'd like to thank you today for listening.